This is Jim Semivan, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. We are into October 2023 and here with a breakdown which is a rundown, a look forward and a look at the breaking news that just happened about 15 minutes ago that I've not even discussed with Dan. Uh, I've got Dan with me obviously. Hi Dan. Hello, hello. That'll be a live reaction because I've totally not checked Twitter for the past hour or X now I should say. X Twitter. So can you not smell that Dan? What is that? It smells like methane and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere of K2-18B that the James Webb telescope has picked up. Oh, I should have known that. That's my favorite smell. Yeah. (laughs) That was good. That was a good segue. Yeah. If you've got one of the Scratch and Sniff podcast stickers, Scratch and Sniff now, uh, section five. And uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, No. So yeah, just literally, I wasn't sure. I I literally told Dan I wanted to hit record as soon as he joined the conversation. Um, Wasn't sure if he'd seen it. 15 minutes ago, uh, yeah, NASA's tweeted out James Webb. Well, I actually saw it because Chris Mellon had tweeted it. Um, It's not obviously proof of life, Dan. We've been here before. But really interestingly, new NASA investigation with NASA's James Webb telescope into K2-18b, one of your favourites. It's an exoplanet 8.6 times as massive as Earth, uh, has revealed the presence of carbon-bearing molecules, including methane and carbon dioxide. Webb's discovery adds to recent studies suggesting that K2-18b could be a high-sean exoplanet, one which has the potential to possess a hydrogen-rich atmosphere and a water-ocean-covered surface. Now, we won't go into this too much. It's breaking news. There's not a whole lot more to really discuss. It's, It's the kind of thing we've had before. Essentially, it says within the article, the usual stuff, it could be a water-covered planet. It could be far too hot to harbour life. But given the size of it, it could also be it likely would have like a solid icy core, which would be watery on the outside. Blah 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 blah. Um, but it's really interesting. <laughs> I, said, blah, blah. I, I wish mainstream me uh, like science articles were more like that. Just you know what? I don't know where I don't know, but it sounds pretty cool. This is why I'm getting all the BBC stuff these days and GB news and stuff because they're <laughs> like we like this guy's approach. When I'm like, yeah, 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 blah blah blah. Could be life. Could not be. But I, I, I love this stuff because I keep saying, don't. Uh, in, in my opinion, this might be one way we do get something tangible where we get a follow up on one of these one day. Because remember we had it last year or year before, was it Venus? Phosphine? Phosphine? Venus, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Phosphine on Venus, lovely name for a, an album. Yeah, um, <laughs> so it not Keen's follow-up to their first album. Um, but it's it's that kind of, oh, little tease, but then nothing comes of it. So it would be nice, given they're going to do more follow-ups, James Webb's going to look at it a lot more intensely, um, if something like this could bear fruit that, oh, it looks like it's very likely to be a watery planet uh, with potential signs of life and chris mellon has tweeted as much um, and i'll just very quickly dan professionally uh, fill in while i find the tweet uh, which is hi so he said he doesn't say hi he says uh, the james webb telescope appears to have detected dimethyl sulfide dms in the atmosphere of a planet 125 light years from earth this is not conclusive proof of alien life but to the best of our scientific knowledge dms is only produced by living organisms and then he's put the link pretty interesting dan yeah, really interesting. And it comes only, what, like two two days after the BBC had an article on the front page of their website saying that finding alien life, in whatever form you find it, uh, is now a matter of time, not a matter of if, which is quite the change from the BBC. And that article didn't mention UAP, and a lot of people are an upper over that, but you can kind of feel the temperature changing a little bit, you know, where we're all accustomed to it nowadays, whereas you go back 200 years and humanity wouldn't have even been thinking about space, you know, in the same way as we do today. So it's really interesting that all this UAP stuff is happening at the same time. And, uh, and as always, it's interesting to kind of be educated about things along the way, right? Like yeah. Every time I read one of these articles, I'm like, oh, that's new to me. That's new to me. That's new to me. So they're kind of upskilling us as we go. All of social media, especially um, the X slash Twitter platform, should be tweeting the Jeff Goldblum life finds a way meme because that's my favorite with these things. So um, we don't know what life may or may not look like uh, or what it may or may not require to to be successful and evolving or whatnot so yeah really really interesting um i I thought that was pretty cool but dan 
on this, want to discuss a few things. We've got the Encounter show on Netflix, which I am only halfway through at the moment, um, which, depending on which region you're in, could mean I've watched episode yeah. one, two, three, or four, as we've discussed. <laughs> um, a little bit on Ross Coulthard, some updates, some comments he's made. Get your thoughts on those, and also um, anything else you want to have a chat about, plus a listener question at the end. Oh, just one thing. A, a listener did message me about the NASA stuff literally seconds ago, uh, and I just asked him what his thoughts were. So this is for you, Chris, because I know you listen. Um, he says, he guess it depends on what sort of living organisms it's a good indicator of the universality of life and that condition conditions tend to breed similar environments and if you've already found that within less than a year of the james webb launch perhaps it's not particularly special i think you've echoed what was that. it um tom DeLong said that the universe is teeming with life maybe it's just a matter of perspective once we define what life is we'll see it everywhere yeah just have to look at it one more time yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> nice, that was I like the hit it, single like by Blink One Eight Two. So yeah, but on on to Encounters, Dan. So this has been on Netflix. It's uh, it's got a decent bit of media attention. We saw this one coming out, produced uh, from Amblin, which is the Spielberg Entertainment Company. I think That's there right. were some folks who thought. I don't think Steven Spielberg was behind the cameras for this. Really, was he? I think that was a bit of a misconception. I saw where folks thought he was directly involved in making it. Yeah, di- different director for the series. Um, Jan, I think the name was maybe. I can't yeah, 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 remember. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, d- different director who did an amazing job. You know, the the show is very well produced. Uh, you know, looks beautiful, and and I was really blown away by that. So they did a great job. But yeah, Steven Spielberg wasn't mind the camera, wasn't on set. You, you know, this is just his company producing it, which yeah. isn't to lessen that association. But you know, Spielberg no, no, that's a, it's, they it's go a, way back. It's a big company to be to be involved with. Um, four episodes, uh, all individual episodes it's not one you have to watch in any order there was some discussion around this because a few folks on social media as as you would normally do you discuss oh episode three was great or episode one was great depending on the region you live uh, the episodes are in a different order for example our first episode is largely based on a welsh shiting a welsh shiting a welsh a very Sean Connery there, unfortunately. <laughs> Freudian slip. Yep, oops. Um, well, we'll get to that. Um, on a Welsh sighting, uh, the Broadhaven Triangle, really famous, and a few other bits and pieces within there. Yeah. But that's because it's for the UK. Outside of that in the US, I believe they start on the Texas episode, which is yes, our episode three. Texas. So, yeah. So, out of order. And I've then only... in Japan, they have episode four first. Yeah. So, but, but it had a peculiar effect on the series. You, you know, this is kind of out of context, but for me, each episode, it didn't feel like it ramped up to a point because you could watch them in any order, yeah, you know? Absolutely. You could. You wouldn't miss anything if you don't watch one of them, for example. Yeah. Um, but the first one, Dan, some thoughts, obviously quite uh, prevalent for us. It was on the Broadhaven Triangle, uh, 1977. It's the largest mass sighting in UK history. Around 450 people uh, reported crafts and beings. Not all at the same time, um, but, you know, that's that's what was reported. <laughs> That'd be crazy all um, at the same time. Th- this is your neck of the woods, uh, roughly, I mean, roughly speaking. How far away are you from the area? I could drive there in about an hour, hour and a half. Not not very far at all. On you go. <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah. Live from yeah. Broadhaven. Yeah, live from the scene, just an hour and a half of me <laughs> trying to pad out. Um, what What's it like? Tell us about Broadhaven, like the area. It's a really small, you know, town, um, you know, pop- population isn't very high. They got that right in the show. Seaside kind of island facing. So it's, you're looking across the channel, which is associated with a lot of UFO sightings. And the area itself, it, it's referred to as the Broadhaven Triangle, uh, because Broadhaven sits within that triangle, sometimes called the Dufford Triangle as well. There's a book on it, if anyone's interested and they want to kind of read about the weirdness. But it even includes a, a space called Ripperston Farm, which is very Skinwalker-esque in what happens there. So a lot of weirdness in, in that space. And it was really cool to see Wales represented on the map there. And I remember when you and I did that map not too long ago with the UK UFO sightings, we put, you know, the Broadhaven school landing on there and talked about the, the Broadhaven triangle in the, the blurb on the back. So it was really cool to see it platformed here. And, you know, every, everyone, every kind of anniversary, it comes up on the BBC website and everyone's kind of pondering it, you know, and there's been some good theories and some terrible kind of skeptical theories of, you know, people just in spacesuits running around and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. But I remember talking to Lou Elizondo about, the stack rocks uh, incident where a UAP supposedly flew into the rock itself and touching on the idea that that was a trans medium thing, you know, solids are a medium too. So yeah, it, it, it it's an interesting area. We'll say to say the least. 
Yeah, so you've got the mix here of a school sighting, you've got folks reporting incidents at home. Like you say, there have been sightings of silver-suited spacemen. Um, one family reported, what, eight-foot-tall spaceman at their window, but it was like the upstairs window. Um, yeah. Really bright light outside. What, what do you make of this? Because we're going back almost 50 years here. Um, the object itself, silver, cigar-shaped, 45-foot-long, quite tic-tac-y sounding in, in yeah. that sense. I think that's something... I'm I'm never sure on because I hear different people say different things that Tic Tacs are just the cigar shaped objects that used to be reported. But then I think the Tic Tac you think is maybe a little bit more chubby and compact, whereas yeah, cigar absolutely. longer. But then is that just the eye of the beholder that you see one thing but report another potentially? I think in some ways, yes. But then in other ways, you know, you have the, the Tic Tac itself was said to be you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it on my hat or on the patch behind Andy there. It's said to be like a propane tank, right? Like you've got these rounded ends to it. So it's like a pill. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the cigars, sometimes they're reported with rivets and panels and things like that. And they've got flat ends to and them. And traditionally long, like that yeah. longer, like like a cigar. Yeah, as opposed to stubby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of a giant cigar in the sky. So they seem to be two different things, but a lot of this gets conflated, right? And it's interesting that you you talk about kind of the essentially the myths of the area and how people would talk about the weirdness across the ages because uh, David Clark, who features in that episode, uh, you know, great member of UAP Media UK and people will know him because he's the guy that tracked down the Calvin photo uh, when that happened. So he speaks about it from a kind of mythology point of view and the way that those kind of trickle down across the ages. But the one apparent thing that we have to remember is that everybody talking about it in their own way means there's something there to talk about. Some people might call that dragons. Some people might call that ancestor spirits. Some people might call that, you know, swamp gas or whatever you want, UFOs. You're all talking about a thing and you're kind of projecting your ideas onto that. So in that area, something is going on, something really interesting. But what it is, we have to remember there are lenses to put onto this, you know? I think they even mentioned the, the, the concept of fairies, don't they? And that, you know, fairies in modern lore you think tinkerbell that's that's a fairy um whereas fairies more in welsh tradition as you'll know better than me dan are kind of mischievous almost more alien looking type beings um yeah like trickstery you know they'll show you one image and be something else and there's kind of the lore of if anyone's watched the tv show the changeling you know that kind of plays into it that they would take babies and replace them with things that look like but weren't the the baby and things like that so yeah, it's, uh, it's safe to say it's a little different. And actually around that area and not too far from me in other places, there are kind of like walks that you can go on through the valleys. And it's said that somewhere along that walk, there's a fairy cave um, and there's a door in a cave that you can find to go into the very kingdom. Uh, you know, whether it's sure or not, I don't know. If someone's found it, they certainly haven't come back. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Just next to a Greg's. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, next to a Greg's. Yeah, yeah one, for the, one for the UK listeners. Um, so I've seen various different opinions on... We can't deny it's a Netflix production. It's an Amblin production. It looks fantastic. It's the the best quality. I, I made a note, Dan. Does the general public, and I mean most folks watching Netflix, not as I mentioned, the point one percent of us with a big interest in this that that follow sure. online or are listening to this podcast or watching it, does the general public want to see or have an interest? and seeing a 50-year-old Welsh case that doesn't have any pictures or video evidence. And even though this was like UK-specific, I can't help feel that maybe this was one for like the middle of a series as such, or later. Um, We say now that society is all about headlines, 140 character tweets, all that kind of stuff. I, I got a little bored almost during it, that it's a lot of testimony, and it's all testimony of a case that happened a long time ago is that i don't know where did you sit on it yeah i totally understand what you mean and this kind of gets at what i was saying with the episodes being interchangeable in terms of order there doesn't seem to be a structure to the series and and i feel like the episodes suffer for that you know there's not really a clear timeline going through maybe if it was chronological and they rolled it out and built a case across the episodes it would feel a bit more organic but switching out the first episode depending on the region ended up not being as successful uh, as you know maybe it was when they wrote the idea on paper it's a cool idea just kind of doesn't work stronger plan for stronger is one two hour piece 100 
minute piece? Like, do you think maybe if they kind of done it that way, where it was... Yeah, kind of across one film, that would be yeah. really interesting to, to kind of see. Um, but So which episodes have you seen? The Broadhaven and the... Aerial School. Aerial. Do you think it would have been better to leave with the Aerial one for newcomers, maybe? Because that's quite an impactful case, right? Yeah, potentially, or yeah. We'll put the the rock guy aside for now but <laughs> yeah we're gonna get we're gonna get into that yeah um actually let's just talk about that because that's it's a good sure. good jumping in point so aerial school second episode covered uh, a few times on the pod and everyone else has we had uh, randall nickerson on who was the director of the wonderful aerial school documentary i can't help but feel even with the power of the production behind this randall nickerson's piece is far superior to this in what it will achieve and cover and that kind of similar-ish sort of time as well, that kind of hour. Um, the the big standout for me here is we've seen many of the same folks who were in Randall's piece. Um, there was old archival footage uh, of sure. John Mack and the, the young kids kind of telling their stories. But I think the big talking point from it has been the the guy Dylan, who no one had seen before. Could it, I, I maybe has been on stuff, but I have never seen him on anything. And essentially, he has rocked up, and I've put down here, he is the equivalent of a social media troll who just likes to be contrary on any subject he finds, regardless of what anyone any else is saying. Given the subject we are talking about, and we did get a little bit of, well, a new claim from one of the head teachers who mentions that she was abducted. We'll get to that. Um, he came across as the most unhinged of anyone in this documentary. Uh do you want to mention yeah. what Dylan said, Dan, and why people are kind of talking about him? So Dylan kind of rocks into the documentary and explains that he caused the ruckus because he pointed out a rock that looked a little bit peculiar and was the light was shining off of it. Um, so he pointed that out to all the kids in the school, and then one thing led to another, and it got out of hand, and he's saying that this shiny rock tricked all the kids into believing a UFO was there and that everything else that comes with the story is just, you know, kids being kids and kind of making it up. But he's quite aggressive and annoyed when he, you know, says this story. It's not very matter of fact. As if it's he, really he obvious. feels a bit angry Yeah, about it's like, it, oh my God, know? this is so obvious. Why have people even listened to this? It sounds like he hates the UFO subject and has taken every opportunity to come in and go, I mean, it, it potentially, I, this is not conspiracy even. I just mean like from a pure production standpoint and to get a different point of view it sounds like a guy who's been paid to say that well the weird thing is so i went digging on this and i found a video clip of him from a little while back saying that he experienced something too and something crazy happened that day so his story is completely flipped 180 um i'll common, i've got the and video and that's so common i'll upload it? it somewhere and we can link it for yeah people cool to watch. yeah it's, it's quite common that, that whole um, flipping of a story we've seen it many times with, with popular names with lesser known folks even just commenters online poke, uh, folks with even small social media accounts who are really hardcore on an opinion and then something happens you may or may not know why and then they, they flip 180 but the guy was so smug almost about why this was nothing and a shiny rock and everyone just made it up um he his testimony for me changed what i thought of the series so the first episode happens and you know they're talking about broadhaven and like you say it's it's testimony right you, you know they're just they have people talking about it and it's called encounter so it's just about the encounter before i watched the series i thought this was going to be you know a weighing up of the evidence like these things usually are like mm -hmm. is it real is it not you, you know you decide type but, thing yeah yeah exactly Whereas for me at this point, you know, I was confused by the inclusion of the testimony here because it's not been present before. I found that he's changed his story. Um, you know, they didn't say anything about it. There were some inaccuracies in the Broadhaven one that I'm not going to go crazy about just because, you know, I get it. You've got to mm -hmm. shorten things for production and things. But it kind of, it changed to be a, a kind of a painting of what this phenomena is doing to people for better or worse. And as we go through the series, you know, in the Japan episode, it gets into channeling and meditation. And a lot of people have, have been quite angry and kind of saying, well, you know, that doesn't represent Japanese culture. It doesn't represent anything to do with credible evidence for the UFO subject, yeah. which is fair. It, it doesn't really. But what it does do is paint a really interesting picture of psychologically what this phenomenon is doing to people, whether they've encountered it, whether they're lying, whether they're making up stories. It feels like everyone wants a kind of slice of the pie. And they just kind of want to be involved in this story where, you know, it's kind of touched people. So you have people like Darren coming forward years later and kind of making these crazy claims. 
And it's interesting to include because it's like, look what it's done to him. You, you know, this this isn't a reasonable thing to happen. Uh, what, what do you think on that? Because it's quite controversial. Maybe not controversial, no, no. but different to the, the usual thoughts on it. But yeah, his testimony changed me to thinking that it was more a kind of, I don't know, like a, a pastiche on the human condition, you, you know, more than just is it real or not. So I don't know if it's so much that or... For example, if when James Fox goes and makes a documentary or Jeremy Corbell or Randall Nickerson, people with an interest in the UFO phenomenon to whatever extent, no one is pretending they don't want it to be massively successful. And I would hope they are. And they make loads of money off it. Fantastic. And it gets a really serious, credible message out to people like us who want to watch that kind of material, but also to the mainstream that it clicks and connects with them. And I think that's a really difficult job for someone to do. Look at just the Phenomenon documentary by James Fox. I think it does that really well. And it, and it had a short-term impact on the mainstream, which was was good. Um, I'd like to hope that the Phenomenon 2, when it comes out, I think that's being made now, um, can follow up what's happening now in the right timing is a big, big thing with that as well. But James Fox is making a piece that he wants the people listening to this and watching this and us, Dan, and and folk with an interest in the UFO subject to enjoy and get something from. But he also wants it to be acceptable and, and accessible for the main mainstream, right? Sure. Are the people at Amblin who made this thinking of any of us or anyone with a UFO interest, like a serious, deep UFO interest, or are they going, right, what do folks who are watching Netflix and seeing UFO stuff, what do they want to see? They need maybe it was quite dry and they wanted some sensationalism in it. And they were like, We have to have something because right now, remember when we used to watch some of the Skinwalker Ranch episodes and there was like 45 <laughs> minutes of drilling? And it was like, sure. I can see why the the TV network must be like, Even though we are filming a scientific endeavor here, we need something here, folks, because this is 45 minutes and we've got advertisers. That's a good place for me to put an advert here. Uh, but you know. <laughs> Um, they are a, a company and they are making an entertainment show. They want people to watch it and maybe it was too dry. And I wonder with this, are they going, we need to have some sensationalism. Let's get a different viewpoint in there. Let's get the guy coming across saying that it's all crazy and made up. Let's throw a cat amongst the pigeons rather than make a straight aerial school type episode where it's all, here's what happened, here's the facts. Um, and again, that's I've got to be fair, don't I, and say that it's testimony heavy, as we know that case is, because I've just slated the last one for that, albeit it's, it's not as far <laughs> away. But it seems like you've got an overwhelming number of people saying one thing, and then we just have to get this guy in who disagrees and says he made it all up. And, and it's frustrating when places do that. You know, I see it often with news. some news programs, they'll kind of say you know, you've got to represent both sides of the argument. But then on one side of the argument, you've got someone who studied for 50 years talking about, you know, these lights in the sky. And then on the other side of the argument, you just have like, you know, Dave the Fisherman from down the street. And and it's like, that's not really an, an equal discussion, is it? See, see when so I was... kind of want to hope that it's actually balanced. I, I hate name dropping, right? But when, when I was on BBC Two on Nicky Campbell's thing, which <laughs> folks, uh, cards on the table, I thought was a radio appearance, right? And it ended up being We're going to cut that out and just be, well, well that's your catchphrase yeah, now. When I was on a, BBC yeah, Two. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, they had a... They had a girl on from an astrophysics physics podcast or something. They had two other people. One was fair enough, but then this other girl was quite condescending about the UFO topic and quite derisory about it. And she made a point that you know all these sightings happen in the US, all these sightings happen out in the middle of nowhere, um, over land, and it was always America. And she laughed and joked about it. And they then brought on four callers who all shared stories. One of them happened in, in the Antarctic, in that region, when they were serving or when their friend was serving. The other three all happened in different places. And they asked me what I thought about the calls. And I just I had to throw straight back to her and just say, um, just curious that given your, your, your guest there said they all happened in the US and they all happened over in the middle of nowhere, there's four people from outside the US whose sightings all happened in different places. And that's the problem with this subject. People coming on pretending they know and all they're doing is repeating sure. a stigma that they've had and a bias they've had their whole life. And that's where I wouldn't go on a podcast that I know, and people might disagree, think I do that with this, but a podcast I know nothing about and pretend to know about it and pretend to comment on it without saying just my opinion, but I don't know very much. 
Um, you you end up sounding like Bill Nelson talking about Grush. Yeah, which right. which was he, he had a friend which was who, a wild just... yeah, which was a wild <laughs> swing. Yeah, you just start making it up. Um, yeah, so for me that was that, that was frustrating and, and a strange one. But on the other side of it, because there was two big claims, uh, and I've not wrote down her name, uh, the former head teacher who claims she was she was abducted or she is a uh, head teacher, Ju- Judy. Judy something. Judy something. What a name. Um, Judy something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get a name. But essentially, she, she's now come out after never had, having said this for years and years and years and is now claiming she was abducted. And Judy you're Bates. Like, Judy Bates. She, bait and switch, as she done for us all. <laughs> um, but that, that for me is a difficult one in any way, shape or form. And I know folks who listen to this to claim to have had abduction experiences or certain different experiences if you say nothing for 30 years and then all of a sudden for a Netflix documentary, you come out with actually, yeah, I was abducted. That only looks a certain way for me. That's just my opinion. Carl, you know, the old get out of jail free. You're not wrong. The the, the governor of, uh, you know, Phoenix did the same thing, you know, years and years later, he came out saying that yep. he basically, you know, I did see something and blah, 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 but it was during a re-election campaign. So he's clearly trying to be, you know, look, I'm being honest. I saw her. I'm with you vote for me you, you know you, you always got to wonder why why that story is is changing and in some instances it can be just that the person didn't want to admit it to themselves or thought that everyone think they were crazy but at the same time you, you've got to kind of you know look at the context and see where it's coming from instead of just assuming that they're telling the truth yeah um i've not seen anything past that dan so your next two episodes are one, like you say, the last one for us is on the Fukushima and Japanese aspect of the UFO that's topic. Right. And the third is based in Texas. Uh, that's right. So Stephenville, Texas, um, where basically there were lights in the sky chased by jets, a whole bunch of witnesses, uh, people talking about uh, Ezekiel's wheel and how that kind of can be thought of as a UFO just of its time. And the episode really focused around, it was called Messages, and it really focused around the idea of religion and UFOs and the influence that UFOs had there and how some people are kind of holding this as a, some type of religion as well. You know, one, one guy during this episode says, I think they're angels, they're messengers. I'm dying to know what they've got to say. So it, it's interesting um, how, how people, you know, look at, look at this. But they do present some radar data and things like that from that too, provided by the FAA, who after this, they say banned it. I haven't looked at that claim um to just double check it but uh but yeah they, they that's what they present here then episode four is talking about the fukushima disaster mm-hmm. in japan um and how lights were seen over that again this is one of those cases that kind of slipped by because obviously we were all concerned with what was happening it then goes into the 1803 case called the uh itsuru buni uh, which was the like a hollow ship that supposedly washed up on the shore of Japan and had this beautiful lady in it, and everyone thought it was this otherworldly presence. So it goes into that. There's a little talk about channeling, meditation, things like that, and the culture of Japan, uh, and also the nuclear connection. Well, mm. Robert Salas's story is in this. But it also talks about things like uh, the astral body and that being a part of the abduction instead of you physically going somewhere as well. We've discussed so that, it gets yeah. quite woo yeah. by the end. Yeah, um, yeah. We meet for Starbucks every week, astrally, uh, halfway between both of our locations. Do you think it would be cheaper? Um, <laughs> probably, <laughs> but it does talk about um, you know how in Japan they kind of embrace the mystery of these things as part of a culture, whereas the USA is very data driven and they kind of are not happy without these answers. You know, they're not happy just being like there's mystery in the world and we accept that. It, it's a really interesting run of episodes, and I think by the end of it, just kind of presents the idea that this is a human issue and we need to kind of take it seriously what how people are affected by these experiences and, and help them. Yeah. Um, overall then, Dan, are you recommending folks watch this or go out their way to watch it, maybe pick and choose episodes or where are you sitting? I'd say watch it, but I wouldn't recommend it as the first thing that someone should watch if they're kind of like, oh, I want to know about this UAP subject. This, for me, you know, if you're looking at you know, why I described as a kind of painting as the human condition in relation to UAP. Mm-hmm. I would say if you watch the phenomenon and that's the bit that interests you, watch it. it. It's a fairly interesting, you know, psychological piece, but I wouldn't say recommend it for, for you know, to weigh up evidence and things like that. Sure. No, definitely. I'd be saying still go back and watch maybe anything Ross Coulthard's produced, watch James Fox documentaries. It's it's It looks beautiful. I love the production value and but I just felt from what I've watched in those two episodes, 
it maybe lacked a bit of soul for me. Um, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, uh, maybe as like a UFO fan, however you want to call it. Yeah, I, nah, it's okay. I'll, I'll go back and watch the last two episodes just just to watch them, but I'm not going to rush to watch them. Um, or grush to watch them. To watch them. Oh, look at that. <laughs> because uh, there is a documentary, Dan, which is on, I believe, right now as we talk, isn't it? From yesterday. Yes. Yes. <laughs> In theory. In theory. <laughs> um, it should be on right now, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific. Um, uh, this will go out on audio tonight, tomorrow, and that means nothing in the context of time because... It's no longer tonight or tomorrow when you listen to this. It'll be tonight no, or tomorrow time, somewhere. Time but, travel. 88 yeah. miles an hour this is recorded at. Yeah, um, this will be out at Monday the 2nd of October, but you might be listening to it after that. But yeah, the David Grush documentary uh, through Yes Theory. Am I right in saying they had some kind of link to the Jesse Michaels American Alchemy documentary yeah, as right. well? Je- Jesse were... works with those guys quite a bit. Yeah, they so were mentioned. kind of both put the efforts in at the same time and they produce these two things out of their time with yeah. David. So we've not seen it yet. We'll discuss that next week. We'll give it a watch. Um, purely off of gut feeling and from a couple of comments online, I'm not expecting to see anything in it that didn't get covered through the Jesse Michaels American Alchemy episode documentary that was on a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I don't know if this was just something because they were filming with Jesse, they all filmed at the same time and made something out of it all. So I don't know if we'll maybe see some regurgitated content or if it's going to be similar comments but a different setting. No doubt there'll be some sound bites from it at least. Um, but yeah, um, any thoughts on that, Dan? Are you just expecting same? I'm, I mean, my expectations are set at a similar thing, but we see a bit more behind the scenes of what was happening in DC at the hearings and things like that because the trailer included a bit of that. But I don't expect for there to be, you know, what people refer to as bombshells, but I don't expect it to be a nothing burger either. We need all the on-ramps we could get and they have a big audience. So I'm excited to see what comes to it. A lot of new people will come to the conversation. Yeah. Again, it's yesterday he's got, I think it had 140,000 subscribers and people will, I'm guessing, listen to it in their audio format and stuff as well. Um, it's, it's for a different audience again, which the Jesse Michaels documentary was for a different audience. Ross Kiltart's comment. Uh, commentary and content was for a different audience as well so um all for it you know these things are going out to different people you don't have to go and watch every single one of them you the listener you the viewer um oh they have 1.2 million followers on instagram all right so they're okay. quite a big platform yeah so they've paid so, they've paid yeah. for followers whoop to do no i'm joking um <laughs> that's 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 amazing so yeah uh we'll, we'll talk about it after it's been out and hopefully we get some new comments on that uh have you changed your opinion or mind on the whole grush situation at all dan it's i think with the with the passing of time um we've had the hearings it's ju- that was ju- it was three months ago almost now um where, where are you at with that or are you still very much in the same camp i'd say kind of in the same camp you know we're waiting for the next steps here uh that was that grush would go into a skiff with some of the senators and reps who were at the hearings that hasn't happened yet and was re- refused a- wasn't it yeah, supposedly it was refused. Um, and we're not quite sure who refused it. You know, the only people that can do that is the president or the director of national uh, security. So, oh, sorry, intelligence, not security, DNI. So, again, it, it's hard to know whether it was like a clearance issue or whether it was something else, because a lot of stuff kind of gets passed around in the community. And we tend to take it verbatim. Just this past week, for example, we had. Michael Schellenberger produced an article which was really great talking about a lot of witnesses that he'd spoken to. And, you know, there was talk of, you know, more people from a 20 plus people, I think it was from crash retrieval programs and things like that. But nuzzled in there was kind of saying that. Do not say up, up, Warner, to, up to 50, up to 50 witnesses. Yeah. I, I was being a little conservative. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Because Ross Coulthard <laughs> mentioned it on the Need to Know episode with Bryce uh, on the Wordplay episode. And I'm sure he said they were surprised it was between 30 to 50 people sure. confirmed. So that was yeah. really interesting, yeah. And and then in the same article, they talked about Warner blocking any more hearings and things like that. So uh, Matt Laszlo from Ask, Askapol, they kind of you know catch senators when they go in between meetings. He managed to get a little quick chat in with Mark Warner, who was really confused by the accusation. Um, and then it came out that they got a comment from Gillibrand as well, who said they're looking to schedule the Senate hearings around the time that the next Arrow UAP report comes out, which makes a lot of sense, really. So that could be 
I've heard everything from a month's time up to January. So we're just waiting for that report and hopefully the hearings will follow then. In my head, I had Matt Laszlo running with a massive butterfly net catching senators between meetings. <laughs> um, do you, is it, is it, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> do you think we have to frustratingly and unfortunately um, keep our... Why am I taking a brain fart on this? What's the phrase? Um, quill our expectations or yeah, temper expectations on... Senator, so let's use Gillibrand as an example, sure. where she came out all of a sudden massive UEP champion for everyone. She's pushing this subject forward. This is the progress. People online giving it the whole, you know, ah, oh, she's going to blow this wide open. This is disclosure. This is it. Is it too much to think that people expect that she sits there all day, every day after that, listening to UFO podcasts, watching documentaries, reading in plain sight? Imagine <laughs> on the phone to James Fox, Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp, getting ice cream from Seven Eleven, yeah. just eating it and just going literally to moves in, moves into Lou <laughs> spare room <laughs> and lives and breathes the UFO subject. And that's that's not the case. She maybe picks up for like a couple of hours at most a week, and then other things happen because that's not her career. And then people wonder why oh she's gone quiet or same with like Warner Rubio, all these folks oh they've changed their mind they're, they're not pushing forward. Because it's just an aspect of things. It's not consuming their whole lives, is it? Like, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. And and these things, you know, when Gillibrand says something, she's not just running her mouth. That's not how this works. You know, when people want to talk to her, they have to give the questions over before and they get to prepare talking points and they have media training staff and assistants who make comments and things like that. Everything's really carefully calculated. So she's she's never just presenting, you know, her her ideas as they kind of come through a stream of consciousness. So, yeah, she's been quiet for a little while and government takes a while to work. And there are a thousand other issues, probably 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 other issues that require their attention because they're not just elected to look at UFO stuff, right? Much as we, we want them to be. Uh, I'm sure some other things would be neglected to to you know people's detriment. But hearing from her recently, you, you know, just to kind of say a bottom line of what she said, uh, she told Matt from Ask a Paul, they have to trust the process that Senator Rubio and Senator Rounds and I have set up to do this work. And if they don't trust it, we can't get to the bottom of anything because we can't do all the interviews that are needed to figure out what's existing, what's not existing. And frankly, what creation of programs we need in the future to better monitor our skies, have air dominance, have pilot safety, things that really matter, which I think is fair. You know, I wish the government was moving faster, but I understand where she's coming from, I think. What what do you think there? Yeah. Um I'm holding my breath on a lot of the politicians and how much they want to move this forward. Maybe there's a lot of pressure in the background. Maybe maybe they are trying to get a groundswell of, you know, we can have another set of hearings and put another couple of pilots out there and a scientist. But no one from crash retrieval programs, no one from legacy programs, and it would just be another damp. And it just starts to become like reducing an impact each time. And maybe it is a case of right, let's let's stack the deck next time, and that's going to take time, and we have to be quiet while we do it and do our work behind closed doors. Um, you know, like when I've got a football team I support right now who is not playing particularly well, and what fans want to see is improvement on the pitch. They don't want to hear people talk about what's going to come. They want. To that to happen and the only way that happens is one sack the manager but two hard work behind closed doors and that's hard work that me and you won't get to see monday to friday but you'll see the fruits of it on a saturday and that's when you can see ah they have worked hard and i think that might be the case where this stuff has to happen behind closed doors we're frustratingly not going to get to see it maybe along the way a few managers get sacked you know kirkpatrick's no doubt on his way out at some point um yeah, and I think it's behind closed doors a lot of what's happening at the minute. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. You know, the Senate's are in conference right now looking at the National Defence Authorization budget and legislation. So that's being worked out. We can only wait and see how this shakes out, you know. M much as I'd love to run in there and change the language myself and add some things and clarify some things, this isn't how the process works. We've got another three, four years left of this yet. So let's just be patient and see, see how it goes and support it where we can. Speaking of patient, we'll uh, get to Ross Coulter after a quick ad. 
trying to be professional with the ad stand <laughs> a gap in for myself so I actually remember where to put them um, listen Ross Coulthard Dan I don't know if you did get a chance to catch this up a couple of things on Ross he's been a busy boy uh, the last couple of weeks did you see him on the Neil Mitchell uh, show who Neil Mitchell's a Australian radio journalist and uh, radio show host and journalist did you get a chance to catch that I did yeah that that was an interesting interview he he touched on a few things that he might have touched on before, but he went a little more in depth with them, right? And there was one thing in particular that I've, stood out to me. I've so. got three notes, and me and you haven't three discussed okay. this, so no, I'm interested to see. Because <laughs> I put it's a nice. Ref- this isn't my note, right? It is a note, but it's not what I put down as discussion points. It's a nice refresher uh, as an interview on a show that's not from a UFO expert. I wish he would shut up and let the guy talk. Because <laughs> do you know what really got me? And this was just a professional thing, right? I, I put professional in quotation marks here, not calling myself a professional, right? right. I, I don't think you can do that from a shed, you know? Yeah, I, well, this... <laughs> Anyone this, like, he's lagging him off. This Neil Mitchell, did you hear at the start where he asked Ross a question and then Ross starts talking and he goes, oh, wait, actually, we have to do that again. And they leave it in, like the edit. It's like a lazy... Oh, sure, It's like yeah. a lazy start to the show, right? That That's fine, cool. I listen to all kinds of very successful we, podcasts. We've cut that. Yeah. Maybe. Um, <laughs> no, um, I get it. I listen to all kinds of podcasts that make a lot of money as well that I pay for who are quite lazy in terms of editing and sound and all that kind of stuff, right? Which is grating in one way, but it's fine. It's the podcast format. and Charming in another, right? Like yeah. Horses for courses. In a way, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but do you know what really got me? When Fun. he restarted it. So you've just heard the the botch. You've heard the outtake, right? And then he asked Ross the question. Ross starts answering and he interrupts him straight away. And I was like, oh my God, like, let him speak. But once Not you, right out the gate. Yeah, <laughs> once you get past it, this is just that guy's style and he doesn't shut up. Um, then it was it was good. Um, so for, first one I've got. Dan, this is like seeing Gandhi angry. You're usually so chill. Mm, see when I listen to him. Oh, right. So that's. Sorry, folks, you're getting value here. You're getting a longer <laughs> podcast. I listen to, again, a load of podcasts and I pay for them on Patreon. I love supporting podcasts, you know, sign up, blah, 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 or listen free up to people. I I pay for podcasts um, where they, they don't edit or they have everyone not muted. Like Dan, Dan muted himself right there to take a drink. So if you're watching this, you might have seen that. If you're listening to it, you won't know. I listen to really popular podcasts, award-winning podcasts who don't mute themselves and then they type while they're talking and you hear the keys going or you hear people oh, click, no. click, 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 click. I may do oh, it no. sometimes. I try not to, right? I always try mute when I do it. Um, that kind of stuff really, really bugs me. So from a podcasting point of view, there's loads of stuff that really, really grates on me. People playing with and, stuff. And also there are filters that you can just click now and it'll take that stuff out, you, you know? like 100% pure laziness. But maybe it's charming. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I just think of it as charming as like, you, you know, in the 70s, 80s, the punk bands that just record on a four track tape recorder in the garage and the low production value in a way was yeah. like reflective of the creative environment. But when maybe that's not this. When it's a podcast about your football team who's just lost another game, you don't want that <laughs> annoying you in the background as well. Anyway. What, what's the football team? Never mind. On to, <laughs> on to Ross Kultart. Um So the first one I've got here is Ross reiterating the point I am talking to people who have seen these entities. The hard part is getting them, and I've got here, Dan, as I know it, the hard part is getting those folks to testify out in public. And I mentioned here, even testifying behind closed doors, that's great, but that even then doesn't guarantee we get a follow-up from it or that stuff comes out. And I think that's a frustration people have got just now. Um, yeah, that, again, I, I would ask, is that fair? But I think it speaks for itself. That is a fair point, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and we, we've heard that, whistleblowers don't want to talk to arrow as well they don't trust it so where where do they even go with their testimony you know they can talk to people like ross they can talk to people like james but when that's the only funnel they have of course they're going to start going straight to the senators and just ignoring that process that's been put in place you know the i think it speaks that the legislation should take that into account and maybe give them an independent place to talk to like for example if it was the dod ig or the icig the inspector generals that they spoke to and it was away from the dod i feel like it's more of a neutral place so who knows maybe maybe there'll be a independent uap study group made by the president and that'll be kind of you know where they go to report this stuff 
Yeah, it reminds me of The Simpsons. You know, do you want to tell Johnny Tightlips or Frankie the Squealer? Um, you know, like <laughs> what one you want to talk to. Is it a danger though that if you set up yet another organization that's meant to report into this stuff, it just dilutes it further? Like the whole idea is you, you've got Arrow. Surely, if that's not working, cut the head off the snake and replace it. Yeah, that's that's the question, isn't it? You know, the DoD is very defense orientated, so it's going to be looking at those, you know, that heat map we saw from the arrow presentation where they were like, yeah, it's mostly in these areas. And people were like, that's where UAP is. And then it turned out, no, that's just where America has bases and they're seeing them. Therefore they're there. It's a data bias. So the DOD is looking there. And and I think there's something to be said for having an organization that looks elsewhere and also takes that data into account, but you're absolutely right to, for, for that to work, it has to be interoperable with Arrow. And once Arrow is in the mix there, it kind of dilutes the trust again, you, you know? So it, it's tough. Maybe, maybe, yeah, Arrow just needs to end and the DoD will get the information they get. But from a completely independent group, there is nothing to do with them. Can I guess what your um, big comment is you've got noted down? Go for it. Is it the quote that the world will know within 12 to 18 months that we have a non-human intelligence in contact with us? It's absolutely not. I was going to swear there, but if I swear I have to take explicit content, <laughs> I'll try not to. So go on, Dan, what have you got down? So it was the part where you know, there's always this discussion of whether the aliens are nice or mean, basically. Mm. And and we always say, well, just like humanity, you know, you're going to have a variation of that throughout one species. They don't all just agree with each other. Um, here, Ross said that he can't confirm it, but there is a persistent claim of malevolence, which is that, you know, they just treat us badly. And that might be as a result of the technology and just a byproduct of it. You know, people get radiation poisoning and stuff like that from being near these craft and the visitors don't realize. But also, you know, when you start going into abductions and stuff like that and and the law that's there, it it kind of paints a picture that it isn't all love and light, you you know, that it might be a bit like you explained fairies earlier. You know, there's there's an image over the front that's very kind and welcoming and you know, don't use too much technology because humanity will lose its way. But then there's a malevolence in being the species riding in an anti-gravity craft bucket all trends of physics in the universe and telling other species not to get too much technology, you know. (laughs) Is that just potentially, though, a way that it's looked at that there's almost a parent and child type relationship where maybe my kid, when I give him into trouble, but for good reason, or if I'm frustrated with him, I'll take off, I'll take his tablet off him, you know, switch off his nuclear weapons as such no take his tablet off him (laughs) ban him from youtube i'll tell him he can't play fifa tonight and i send him to bed early you know there's a punishment there because of a frustration and he must look at me with an underdeveloped brain at seven years old and a way of looking at the world that he can't see my point of view and he won't see my point of view until he's much older as to why i do these things and maybe that's absolutely so he would see that as malevolent my dad's bad that he's doing this and is there a chance that we're just seeing something malevolent because it's as superior to us in a lot of ways it's it's more advanced than us it's older than us it's more experienced than us and it's frustrated at times and i'm not to say that's that encompasses the whole thing but maybe that's why some of this stuff comes across the way it does yeah, I, I get you. you. You know, with the abductions, you have the darker side of things like, you know, women being abducted and having their eggs taken and things like that. Now, if you were the people doing that and say, for example, to follow Michael Masters example that these are extra tempestrials coming back in time to kind of save humanity, maybe they have a greater good reason that they feel justified for doing it. And it's not actually malevolence, even though it looks that way to us. It's trying to be helpful. But just from our perspective, we, we just can't see what it, the, the benefit is, you know? It looks at us as a greater species and goes, yeah, it's nothing you don't do. You do worse. Like, we're just, you know, yeah. treat, treat I was others. reading about a farm that put VR goggles on cows that you know producing milk so they think they're in a field when they're in a enclosure and mm-hmm. i was like we're matrixing the cows like really and yeah you're right it's, it's nothing we don't do wow I, I really wish i could have came up with a milk pun for that one there but I'll, uh, I'll, <laughs> you could have milked it uh, i could have yeah yeah no, no i'm leaving that one i'm leaving that one alone um, <laughs> on to the point i mentioned though dan ross says that you know the world will know within 12 to 18 months we have a non-human intelligence in contact with us big claim um and he says we will have an acknowledgement um, and I wonder what, and I put a note down here. So what if that comes in the form of sources 
credible people coming out and saying, yes, we have these, but folks still don't get to see the bodies and the craft. What if we get a line of David Grush and Grush-type folks coming out really credibly on the news, on YouTube, whatever, saying, this is what I saw, this is what I worked with, I worked with craft, I worked with this. I don't think that'll sway a lot of people. I think they'll still be, we want to see the evidence, and it'll just be, we can't show you. Yeah, I agree. People that aren't already invested or curious about this aren't going to come on board with just more of the same, you, you know. It, it's been feeling like we're zeroing it in on a point for a little while, you know, through these kind of this five pillars journey, I guess we, mm. we could describe it, you know. Um, and yeah, the grush stuff, it's kind of teeing up our firsthand witnesses, our direct witnesses to these things to come forward and talk. And we heard that David Grush, you know, had photographs and things like that that he gave to the DODIG, or sorry, the Intelligence Community Inspector General. A lot of acronyms and people in this um, and departments. <laughs> but you would expect to see that, or for at least the people with the clearances to see that. So we're trading on a bit more than just, you know, testimony. And and I don't mean to diminish it. Like people say that this is a, you know, they refer to it as a trust me, bro. I know, you know, believe me kind of stance. Mm-hmm. But we have to take into account David's credentials and his background and where he comes from. And, you know, it, it should be taken seriously. The, the inspector general thought so too, and, and passed it on as a serious concern to be solved. So we need that next step now, I think. Otherwise people, yeah, it's, it's not going to bring anyone that isn't already convinced. It becomes treading water. And do you know what? Ross, Ross made a really good point on it. Cause that, that Neil guy uh, interrupted him again. And he said, um, David, he asked, I think the guy, to paraphrase, was asking about, you know, surely this bigger secret would have came out, more would have came out over time, you know. And he said, look, David Grush was briefed into 2,000 plus special access programs. In there, there are so much, or there is so much information that has never leaked and folks just don't know about. So there's your argument against everything leaks because David Grush has said himself, it doesn't, you might think it does, but just because you see the tip of the iceberg doesn't mean there's not something under the surface, you know? So, Well, pe- people like to think they're being clever, right? That they know a little more. And, and to use Blink-182 as an example, when, you know, they were rolling out their new single recently, there was a part of, you know, the, in the week running up to the single rollout, the people checked the source code for the web page and they found this web link to a calendar that was like a marketing calendar. And then everyone kind of saw when the album was coming out and it spread like wildfire, like, oh, you know, we got one up on the web developers. Turns out that was part of their marketing. They yeah. assumed that that was going to happen. If a band can do that for music, just think what kind of tools and things like that people have at those kind of black levels of government programs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that interview. And Dan, just on that, I don't think you you have yet, but uh, Ross Coulthart's book has a revised and updated edition of it. Um, What's different? Uh, there's two new chapters at the end. Um, I, I'm not sure of any revisions during it. I, I'm guessing there may be some slight corrections throughout, but I'm, I literally just received it. Um, and I've only read the second last chapter, which is follows on from the uh, Salvatore Pi stuff which then sure. goes into the new chapter is on the February shootdowns. And it's just a really nice summation of what happened with the, the objects, the Chinese spy balloon, the three objects. And Ross is very fair. And it, like I say, I won't spoil it all. Um, it's He mentions it's more than likely mundane balloons and, you know, uh, hobbyist balloons and stuff like that. But a lot of the comments around it at the time from various officials and stuff were really interesting to go back and read where yeah. they had a lot, of, a lot of opportunity to dismiss the whole ET or something else scenario. And they didn't, and right? they didn't, or they couldn't, yeah. or, they, or they brought it up themselves when journalists weren't actually asking about it. So that was really interesting. Um, and I, I, do you know what? In the UK, it's £11. For me, that it was worth the 11 quid to have the revised edition of... I mean, Ross does great work. You know, yeah. agree or disagree with him. He's someone that people should be watching and listening to to what he's saying. You don't have to take everything he says as gospel. I think he would agree with that himself, but it's worth listening to. He seems to do good work. You know, he goes to the effort of hand-delivering letters to people so that they can skip the kind of mail checking that, you know, they, they, they're actively paranoid about whether they're being watched or not. And for that reason, he seems to get to a lot of sources who... who have so far, they've blown out, right? You, you know, Ross said a whistleblower's going to come forward, and then he came forward with David Grush, you, you know? He knows his stuff. And like yeah. 100%, and Dan, I've said this with anyone in the UFO subject, I like 
certain individuals other folks don't like and vice versa i think that's just healthy though and you get different opinions and you should be able I to think s- you could take your alex jones t-shirt off though ruffle copter um <laughs> adidas uh he doesn't have one on no, just no, no. for anyone, yeah, for anyone listening i don't, I don't. Yeah. uh it's my adidas one um but no you're right <laughs> i think you should be able to listen to anyone and everyone and make up your own mind it doesn't make you a bad person or a good person because you listen to x y or z uh and that's how you form opinions, change opinions, strengthen your opinion. You can listen to someone going on about a subject or a topic or an idea and you hear them talk about it in such a way you think, I didn't agree before and I agree even less now. But that's fine. But that's that's how opinions form and everything. So yeah, um, big, I'm a big fan of Ross and what he does and the, the claims got me hook, line and sinker with those. I'm, I'm all in on that kind of stuff. So I look forward to see what kind of may or may not come out. And what he does with Bryce is great on Need to Know. So I uh, really yeah. enjoyed that the other night. That that gets an A+. plus. Not a big fat F, as uh, anyone who <laughs> listened to the recent one will have heard Bryce go on about. Dan, I've got a listener question to finish off with. Um, little sure. discussion point. Uh, have you got anything else you want to bring up? Uh, so I just wanted to just shout out some of the, we've seen a few films come out and are coming out Um soon so there was no one can save you not watched uh, it yet an, but i will just gonna say i'll keep it spoiler free but it's an interesting one mileage may vary with it but you know at the very least it goes for some different ideas i've seen more mixed, of a horror thriller I've seen type mixed thing. reviews yep i've seen mixed. yeah i think that's fair so it's more of a horror thriller type thing girl in a house you, you know home invasion but with aliens think of it that way that's the trailer then you have a film called jewels that, that one's a really sweet kind of quirky British comedy about an old man played by Sir Ben Kingsley who has a UFO crash in his garden. Hijinks in Snow, very light, very sweet. Would highly recommend that one. And then also coming up, it's 1st of October today. On the 6th of October, Tom DeLonge's Monsters of California uh, is coming out. Monsters in California. Monsters in California, I always I want to call it Monsters of California as well. I always want, I, I, they, they all come from California, right? But it, I think it sounds like a better title, doesn't it? Monsters of California. Well, at the very least, my brain keeps tricking me yeah, to say it. But and yeah. rolls off the turn. Monsters in California. It's like Sex in the City. Sex and the City. Like I, I honestly couldn't tell you which one it is. Sex on the city. <laughs> sex with the city. Yeah, sex with the city. Uh, anyway, moving on. Yeah. So, Monsters in so Cali. Monsters, uh, that's coming out on the 6th of October. There are some pre order links as well. If you live in the US, we have contacted uh, Tother Stars to see if there are some UK and Europe and everywhere else pre order mm. links. But suffice to say, that's going to be in cinemas as well in the US. So, have a look on their limited, website. Li- limited on the release, it looks like. There's like. I think there's yeah, like eight exactly. places showing it, like eight states or yeah, something exactly. like that. Yeah. There's one in San Diego. You know, it, it's around. Um, all over the country, but it's a shame it's not released in the UK. I would definitely go see it in the cinema. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, there should be a soundtrack that comes with that, and so so on, so forth. If anyone listens, also, oh, if anyone does listen to this who works in a cinema, like a small independent style everyman type cinema, uh, and you want to put a showing of it on, I will travel there. Like, yeah, so I'm sure Dan yeah, totally. as well. So that would there's be literally good. a cinema in Cardiff Bay called the Everyman Cinema. Yeah, so, we've got one in Newcastle uh, as well, but Cardiff's really far. So if there was somewhere in the middle of that, that would be great, <laughs> like Manchester or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll meet with our astral forms and watch Monsters in yeah, California. Yeah. Um, we also had a U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, uh, the CBP, release some UA, UAP files on a new page for the public. And as well as that, the Department of Energy did the same thing. So even though they're not really talking about it publicly, there's movement happening, and these things come from the did, movement behind the scenes. Did the DOE release anything or just make a page? Just made a page. That's... Well, so there they were some new paperwork Sorry, um, included, uh, which were to do with, it was like the protective border force, basically uh, kind of black force. They, they, you know, like SWAT teams, but unmarked black helicopters, that kind of thing. They're the ones that the US government has deal with any nuclear secrets and things. So if there was broken arrow, you, you know, not the, <laughs> you know, an actual broken arrow nuclear missile goes missing. These would be the guys that were going to recover okay. it. So they, they, there are some reports on the DOE's page of them experiencing what seemed to be UAP encounters. But again, all the weirdness, it has flashing lights, seems to want to be noticed, is around nuclear sites. Nothing new as far as we, you know, we know from the myth of UAPs, but just strengthening this connection between nuclear stuff and UAP or UFOs. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, that DOE page, interesting one. People read into it very quickly, rightly, nor wrongly. I'm not sure yet. We'll see what kind of comes of that. But the, there's something there. 
you know, there, there's an admittance, an acknowledgement. They could have let, again, they could have stayed out it and just left the mystery, the shroud, whatever. But by putting that on there, you at least alert, I think, journalists who are are looking into the story and it's just something else for them to go, ah, oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, is there something going to be going up there or is it going to be the Arrow Twitter account that still hasn't tweet, you know? Yeah, they had their one tweet and they haven't touched it. I, I I think it's safe to say that's a dead account, right? They didn't even tweet that their website was up. Yeah, Sean forgot the password. Um, <laughs> uh, Sean rocks with an X. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And an O for the ox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, listener question. Oh, and just before that, Dan, uh, you'll appreciate one of the listeners uh, got in touch with me because his friend, who also listens, uh, had a, a pet, long-time pet, pass away, really upset. And um, oh, no, I, I messaged her to say, very sorry about that. But um, yes, Michelle, um, hope you're listening. And again, very sorry about the cat and hope your dogs are keeping you occupied. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Sending Michelle some hugs. It's it's always hard losing a, a pet. No different to losing a family member, you know. My hug was out to you, Michelle. It's, it's much worse than losing a family member, I'll tell you that much. Um, depends on the family member. But moving on. <laughs> That's uh, true, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> listener question to finish off. One we may have discussed quite a while ago on AMAs and stuff, but I felt it was worth asking. Um, from Cheryl Ann Brooks, who is in the US. Uh, hello, Andy, Brackets, and Dan. I feel she says that begrudgingly. Um, <laughs> it's the tone, isn't just it? Just the way I read it. Um, I've been thinking about a question that keeps getting brought up in so many items I either read or listen to. I'm paraphrasing the question here. If aliens, and she puts that in quotes, are far more superior in every way, how is it that some of their crafts crafts crash etc wouldn't this be impossible i'm assuming that we on earth wouldn't have the ability to bring a craft down but i certainly believe that if there are different species of aliens they would definitely have the knowledge and ability to either cause a craft to crash and or destroy craft jesus christ that was hard to say in a scottish voice um yeah uh, dan i think we have touched on that one before and she said thank you in advance for reading my message um no problem cheryl ann um worth just mentioning at the end i think as a way to finish off the episode It comes up often, right? This question: If they're so advanced, why do they crash? And and to that, I like to you know hold up a few examples. One being that you know an iPhone isn't any more reliable than an older phone. If anything, the older phones kind of can take a beating, right? Whereas an iPhone is really fragile. So as technology goes on, just because it's more complex, it doesn't mean it's safer or safe from destruction and things like that. But I wanted to also touch on, um, and I could have waited for the Monsters in California plug for here, mm. but in that trailer, there's something mentioned called Starfish Prime. And Starfish Prime was supposedly a, a an air explosion of a nuclear missile, nuclear warhead, so in the atmosphere. And it said that that knocked out a satellite out of the sky. However, the satellite is said to be in UFO law, not a satellite at all, but Black Knight satellite. In fact, the the Black Knight satellite. There you go. You're happy. You get to say it. <laughs> Coming to a screen near you soon. I'll say nothing else. Yeah. It's good. Um, so yeah, it's supposedly uh, an EMP pulse or electromagnetic pulse from a nuclear weapon being let off knocked a UFO out of the sky, and that would be a technology that we would shield against now. But back then we wouldn't know because we didn't know there existed. So it could be just that the species hasn't experienced that or tends to stay away from things like thunderstorms and nuclear blasts and things like that because it just knocks their engines out or so you know the propulsion it interrupts it especially if they kind of you know supposed to be surfing these electromagnetics that that kind of occur in the universe uh not to get too heavy into that but yeah it's it's an interesting question because it, it just gets asked a lot right you know when people come across it so totally fair to ask but uh but yeah advanced doesn't mean any more safe and the technology seems peculiar so it seems to be just like their technology seems to injure humans as a byproduct not as a purposeful thing it seems that our technology affects their technology as a byproduct to be fair our own technology injures us like carbon dioxide from cars you know it's actually harmful to you but we do it anyway um yeah I've got my car running just now, just for the sake of it. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Environmentalists will be on to me. Um, no, I, the way I look at it is there, there's two things. One, if you took uh, the Wright brothers who had the first debated powered flight back in the 90, early 1900s or whatever it was, right? Sure. And you bring them forward to now and show them the very latest like fighter jet aircraft or even like beautiful commercial Dubai airliner, right? And you take them on board and show them this is now our 
our flight. This is what we use. This is our powered flight. Here's your seats. Here's your TVs on it. Look at the control system, all the different fail safes. They would be blown away, right? It would look like magic to them that in such a short time, that was our that was our evolution of, of what an aircraft would look like. But then you tell them they still crash. They're not infallible. They would probably struggle to think, well, I mean, how look at it? Things can still happen that are just out with our control. And I think that would yeah. be one way of looking going, even though it's came so far and looks so incredible, they're still not infallible. Then I also look at the idea that whenever these things are made, created, grown, whatever they might be, these craft, maybe in their environment, they're they're close to being infallible but that's not to say when they come here that given our atmosphere our electromagnetic you know conditions any geological conditions the way ley lines are on the earth all that kind of stuff and more just weather nuclear emp nuclear blasts any of that stuff affects it in some way and that just now and again they do have an issue then you go to the extreme of not even extreme but diana pasalka discussed the whole gifting field idea Maybe they're meant to crash. Maybe, yeah, and I've said before, Dan, and I'm just now just talking for the sake of talking, um, which is handy in a podcast. But there's the idea <laughs> that maybe they're maybe they're one and done. You know, maybe it's like re, not reusable, but you know they're they're disposable. You know, once they yeah, use it, sure. that's their technology, and we go, "Wow, isn't this incredible?" Maybe that's why they can't back engineer some of it because once it's used, it's done. So there you go. The bodies were just robots, fancy robots for them, but you know, disposable. That they've had their use, disposable camera, that's it. Had its use and it's gone now. So they can afford just to leave it and let us kind well, of pick yeah. up the scraps. It makes me think of what we do with our old phones, you know. I look at my phone now and it's so much more powerful than the computer that took us to the moon. Yeah. Yet when I get my new one, this is just going in a drawer on the side, right? I might sell it, but you know, most people just throw their phones in a drawer and they're in the gadget drawer forever. So and it's super advanced. So yeah, it's it's crazy how a relative window on something like even as simple as a piece of technology can can lead to those kind of issues absolutely well anyway dan let's finish off there and i have three words to finish the podcast with can you guess what they are go on black night satellite <laughs> thanks for listening folks that is all for this episode thank you very much for tuning in don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform apple and spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm if you're checking the show on youtube please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform and finally you can listen to shows ad free and sponsor free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on apple spotify just search that ufo podcast premium youtube you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com thank you very much for listening folks It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he could 